For those who, who, are, who are new uh, to what we're doing, we're doing a series called The Spiritual Disciplines. Last week, just kind of as a recap, last week we talked about kind of an intro to the spiritual disciplines, why we need the, why we need the disciplines, why is it important. We talked about how God uses three different ways to change us. He uses uh, people, He uses circumstances, and He uses the spiritual disciplines. Now, God will use people and circumstances, but that's kind of out of our control. We really can't control the circumstances or the people God brings in our life, but we can control if we're going to read our Bible. And we can control if we're going to read and if we're going to study and we're going to pray and if we're going to fast and we're going to tithe. And those are parts of the spiritual disciplines. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the discipline of Bible intake. Bible intake. So if you have your Bibles, would you grab them and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to be in verses 10 through 18, and really we're going to focus in on verse 17. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, with emphasis on verse 17. And, and do this, if you like to write in your Bible, highlight, underline, anything like that, uh, every time you see the word stand written in the scriptures here, just put a little mark there, because uh, we're going to hit on that in just a second. So starting in verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with a prayer of supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's pray. My Father, we are so thankful to be here today. We thank you so much that we get to, uh, Lord, learn more about you. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity where we can gather without fear. Lord, we, we don't need to take this uh, privilege for granted, that we can gather as a body of believers and not be intimidated. And God, I pray right now that you would use me. Lord, pour into me. Help me remember all those things I studied for. Lord, help me eliminate the things I don't need to say. But Lord, bring to memory all those things I do need to say. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. Um, last week, I kind of challenged us with the idea that we need to get intentional with the disciplines. And uh, I, I made the reference that in churches today, we see a lot of spiritual streakers. And, and some of y'all don't know what a streaker is. Uh, a streaker is, is someone who runs with no clothes on. Uh, Ray Stevens did a song about that in the 80s. And I made a reference to this verse in Ephesians about talking about put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. He talks about all the different uh, features of the, ho- the whole armor of God. And what I found is a lot of Christians put on the helmet of salvation, but they don't arm themselves with any, anything else. And they run around with nothing but a helmet on. And that's a spiritual streaker. And the purpose of spiritual disciplines is to arm ourselves with everything that God has told us to be equipped with. And, and what we're going to look at tonight is the Bible, what we need to do with the Bible, the intake of the Bible, applying the Bible. Um, a few years ago, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Africa. It was an awesome, awesome experience. I went to Tanzania. 
And uh, it, it, was, it was, I'll tell you, it's sad. It's very sad because we was in this village. And there's a lot of these preventable, curable diseases that people suffer with and die from. Uh, in Africa, I mean, uh, you, you see people that have leprosy. And you think, well, leprosy's gone. Well, leprosy's preventable. You can treat leprosy easily these days, but they don't have the medicine. So you got people suffering with leprosy. You got people with tuberculosis. You got people with all kinds of these ailments and sicknesses. And we're putting on this medical clinic there in Africa, and we're basically uh, seeing these people have basic needs, some that have poor out eyesight, so we're able to give them glasses, reading glasses, and give them vaccines and do little things. Give them ibuprofen. They don't even have ibuprofen. And we'll give them ibuprofen. And what's so neat about this experience is, is we have a table that they come to where we take their vital signs and we'll take like their, 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 their temperature and their blood pressure. And then while they're at that table, we get to share the gospel with them. And uh, this, this is always an awesome opportunity, but I'm not going to lie. I was intimidated big time because in Africa, it's a very strong Muslim presence, especially in this area. And, and, and I, I, there's, there's also a tribe there in that area called the Maasai people. And the Maasai people are known to be warriors, right? Like they, they, they walk around there. One, one of our, our missionaries there told us they would be like the equivalent of the African Amish because they live off the land. They don't use technology. They're very, very primitive, but they mean. They are dangerous. And, and they carry around swords and they drink cow's blood, they would take their sword. This is actually one of the Messiah people's swords. They would take it, and they would cut an artery on a cow, and they would take it and, and put the blood in a jug of milk, and then drink it. And uh, that's what they're known for. And they're all tall. Tall. And I fancy myself to be a pretty tough dude. I mean, look at me, right? I'm just <laughs> while y'all laughing. Uh, and I'm going to be honest. In this moment, I was intimidated. We have Muslim presence, we have these Messiah warrior people, and we're trying to present the gospel to them. And I had the opportunity to sit down with this Muslim man, and I began to share the gospel, obviously through a translator, begin to share the gospel with this Muslim man, and, and he speaks to the translator and basically says, that's a white man's religion. And in that moment, in that moment, the Holy Spirit reminded me of something he just, he just kind of went through the Rolodex of my memory and pulled out Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, you see Philip comes in contact with an Ethiopian eunuch. And that Ethiopian eunuch's reading from the book of Isaiah. And he don't understand what he's reading about. And, and so Philip comes up next to that, that Ethiopian, and he begins to explain that what Isaiah is speaking about is Jesus. And he's able to lead that, that Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord. And he goes and baptizes him. And I'm, I'm telling this, this African man about the story about how Jesus was the Savior to Africa. And that Jesus was the Savior to all people. And how the gospel came to Africa. And it's like in that moment, it just washed over him. And he says, well, I want to know him. And so he prayed to receive Christ right then and there. And it was like this moment where I'm like, wow. First Muslim I've ever led to the Lord. Now, I, I say that story because I'm not that smart of a man to come up with something that quick on my feet. I, I really ain't. I, I'm not that quick-minded. I can't, I can't reference things like that. But what did God do? Through, through all of my years from searching and reading the Scriptures, God filed away something that at the right moment, at the right time, He was able to go back and pull it out and apply it when I needed it. That's, a, that's another important reason why we need to know our word. 
A little bit later, um, there was a young lady who came. She was also Muslim and had her family with her, her father and her brother. And we began to share the gospel with her. And, and she, was, uh, she was scared. She was scared because uh, she, she knew the consequences about converting to, to Christianity. And she didn't want to do that. She didn't want to take a Bible or nothing. And, and actually, she said, I want to know Jesus, but I can't. I can't. And so she left. We thought, well, there, there goes that. A couple hours later, she returns without her brother and without her father. And she says, I want to talk about Jesus. And so we had an opportunity to share with her. And then we gave her a Bible. And I'm telling you, when she got that Bible, she just went like this. And just hugged it. And I got so convicted. Because I'm thinking, this lady is putting her life at risk. This lady could be disowned by her family because of this new faith that she has in Jesus. And yet she held on to that Bible as if it was given her life. And she just held on to it. And I came under such conviction in that moment because I started thinking about us here in America. That there's people in this room right now, you have more Bibles on your bookshelf than there's some in some third world countries. See, See, it's one thing to be unfamiliar with the Bible when you don't have access to the Bible. It's another thing to be unfamiliar with the scriptures when you got a house full of them. And I came under such conviction. I said, God, help me love the word like she does. Nothing, nothing, nothing is more important to your Christian life than the Bible. Listen, this is life. This is life. There is no such thing as a healthy Christian apart from the word of God. No such thing. And so when we read Ephesians chapter 6... You see, time and time again, Paul uses the word to stand. He talks about all the equipment we are to arm ourselves with. In verse 11, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then in verse 13, he says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then in verse 14, he says, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with the truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Listen. Paul is saying, we need all of that just to stand. If we need all of that just to stand, imagine what the warfare looks like. And we are going into war so many times, spiritual warfare, ill-equipped. That we are not girding ourselves, we're not putting on the actual uh, uh, armor of God. And he tells us, out of everything we're to arm ourselves with, everything is a defensive thing. The helmet, the breastplate, the the shoes, everything's on the defense. But he gives us one piece of of an offensive weapon, and that is the sword. Everything else mentioned is to protect us, but the sword is meant to be a weapon of attack. And we only have one. He says it it is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen, if he's given us a sword, then I believe what he's trying to tell us is that it's not enough just to stand, but at times we need to attack. That we need to be aggressive it's clear that we need to fight back. There's clear, it's clear that the main weapon we have in our battle of our life and our spiritual warfare is the Word of God. This is your main weapon. It ain't, it ain't listening to praise and worship song. That ain't going to help you. All right? it, it's, not, it's not just coming and listening to a bunch of preaching. That's, that's good, but it ain't going to help. You need to know this. This is your weapon. This is important. Do you all believe that? Is it important? Fairview, is this important? So... The enemy, let me tell you, he's not going to back down. In this war, there's no such thing as compromise. In this war, there's no such thing as a peace treaty. 
There is, there is no backing down. Matter of fact, out of everything Paul says to put on your body, did you notice there's nothing on there listed to protect your backside? Because there is no retreat. We are to march forward. Keep going forward. There is nothing to protect your backside. Our enemy is not interested in a truce. You cannot just hope to win. Listen, nobody has ever pursued and achieved holiness on accident. Remember what Paul talks about last week? We talked about it, that he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Remember last week we talked about discipline without direction. Do you all remember? Is drudgery. But we have direction, don't we, believers? Our, our discipline is going to lead us to be conformed to the image of his son. Our, our discipline is going to lead us to become more righteous, more holy, to pursue glory for, for his name. That is what we're aiming at. So, so we can't be neutral. We can't back down. We have to arm ourselves. We have to be aggressive. Paul says in Ephesians six seventeen. he says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Do you hear that voice of God thunder? He says, take the sword. Take the sword. Memorize, study, apply it. It is a command. Listen, he says, go all the way. So, so what is the word of God? Let's break it down. Let's break it down very simply. What is the word of God? If you have your handout, this is where we're going to begin. What is the word of God? So in, 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 in verse 17, it says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the Greek language is very interesting because there's a lot of times there's multiple words that we only have in English one word for. For instance, the word love. In Greek, you have agape, you got phileo. You have multiple definitions, multiple uses of the word love in Greek. Here is a very good example of that as well because in the Greek, you had multiple words for the word word. And in this particular context, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, where Paul says it is the word of God, he uses a word, and, and, and it basically means, it's, it's called rehema. Rehema, it is the spoken word. The spoken word of God. So there's three words. It's graphe, rehema, and then there's logos. Graphe is, is the written word. Rehema is the spoken word. And logos is the living word. You find the living word in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. Right, Speaking of Jesus, he's the living word. And, and so in the Greek, in this particular context, he's speaking about the spoken word of God. 1 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In 1 Timothy 3.16, that, that word inspiration, inspiration, that word is the Greek word theopanostos. And what that word means is two words. Theo, meaning God. Panostos, meaning breathed. In other words, 1 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is God-breathed. Think about that. This word you are holding and is sometimes on your nightstand collecting dust is the spoken breath of God. Written down and recorded for you. You want to know who God is? Read this. You want to know what you should do with your life? Do this. This is God's love letter to humanity, written for you. It is breathed into existence through Him. So what you hold in your hands is the Holy Word of God, spoken by Him through holy men of God, moved by the Holy Spirit, recorded in history for you and I to know Him more. It is your weapon. 
right? It is your sword. It is the spirit sword. Number two, it is the spirit sword. Verse 17 says that it is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. I I love this because this tells us this is the very weapon the spirit of God uses in our life. Think about it. Think about it. The word of God, it will wound you sometimes, won't it? Ever been wounded by the word of God? Ever, ever sat down and began to read something and something jump off the page and you're like, oh, oh me. Ever come to a, a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning service and Pastor Malcolm up here shucking the corn and he says something, you're like, oh, you've been wounded. What, what happened? The Spirit uses the word of God as a weapon. And, and what's so ironic is, is, is the Spirit will use the Word of God to slay your sin, but it will also use it to bring you to life. This, this is a mighty weapon in the hands of the Spirit, and He uses this. This is the, this is the very uh, Word of God. See, here's the thing. There is no such thing as conviction, conversion, or, or consolation apart from the Word of God. Amen. You know, there has never, ever in the history of mankind ever been any type of revival that has ever began apart from the Word of God. You, you read the book of Ezra, look, look in the book of Nehemiah, look in the book of Jonah, look in the book of Acts, look through all of human history, Welsh revivals, the, the Great Awakening, all these great movements, it all started with the reading and the preaching of the Word of God. Why? Because apart from the Word of God, there is no conversion. There is no consolation. And, and, and listen, there is no conviction. This right here is, 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 is the power of the Holy... Pastor Malcolm said this the other day. He says, you need to put the Holy Scriptures in you so the Holy Spirit has something to use. Why? Because, because when, he, when the Holy Spirit uses this, it'll, it'll wound you and it will heal you at the same time. The Holy Spirit can use sermons... But only if it's filled with the Word of God. Stay away from preachers who just say funny things and silly things and tell a bunch of stories and poems and everything else and they don't ever reference the Word of God. Stay away from them preachers. Because the power is in the Word. Listen, there, 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 is, there is some power in some other Christian books. I mean, you can read all kinds of Christian books. There's tons of them out there. But make sure it is filled with the Word of God. Listen, there's so many churches today trying to take away the great offensiveness of this, wor- of this book. They're trying to be easy listening to. They they try to take away the sting of the gospel. But I'm telling you right now, the moment you take away the sting of the gospel is the moment you neuter the power of the gospel. The gospel is truth, therefore it is offensive, and it will wound you. It will wound you every time. I, I, I I love, I mean, the Holy Spirit is God, and in Him all wisdom dwells. God put the universe in motion and put all the laws into place to make the universe function like it does. He put, he put the earth just so away from the sun so we don't burn up nor freeze to death. I mean, everything is perfect because of him. Because of God, man has the ability to learn and to create because of God and the Holy Spirit. All science and things that have been discovered and things that have yet been discovered, he knows about them all. There is nothing that is in existence that he doesn't know. Listen, there's things that only he knows. Yet he doesn't use any of those things as his weapon of choice. What does he use as his weapon of choice? The Word. Think about in Luke chapter 4. Remember, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. The Son of God. And what was his weapon of choice? He says, it is written. This 
is your weapon. Amen. This is your weapon. It has to be this way. If you could win a battle against spiritual darkness in your own ability, in your own power, in your own uh, uh, personality, in your own strength, then you would get the glory for it. But when you come away and God encourages you and wins a battle in your life with this, only He can get the glory. I can't tell you, I cannot tell you how many times last year, sitting in that hospital room, my wife, where I'd open this. Oh, and God, man, He would slay all kinds of darkness. He would slay the darkness of anxiety. He would slay the darkness of worry. He would, he would slay the darkness of doubt. This Believer, saint, this, this is your weapon. How, how, how well do you know your weapon? Listen, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He says the word of God is quick, powerful, and sharp. You know why it's sharp? Because the Holy Spirit keeps an edge on it. It don't ever go dull. It's always sharp. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, it says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. You know what that means? It means that no man can just come up and say, Well, God said this. You have, you have a lot of preachers and people out there claiming to be prophets that have private interpretation, a private spoken word that God told them. He says, No, no, there is no such thing as prophecy of Scripture of any private interpretation. He goes further. He says, verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so what we have in your Bible, you have 66 books written by 40 different authors. And each book written by each author has a unique personality. But it is completely inspired by, the word, by, by God. It is complete, it's as if Paul put his pen to paper and the Holy Spirit began to use it. Now we don't, use, we don't, we don't lose Paul's personality we can still see it's Paul writing, but, but the Holy Spirit is using Paul's hand to dictate what he wants him to say. It is holy men of God who spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That is what this is. God breathed it into existence through the inspiration that he placed on man. This is it. This is it. I, I, I believe God is still continuing to breathe life into this word. Think about it, think about it. How many times have y'all read a scripture? Hundreds of times. And one day you just happen to read a, that same verse again, and you're like, wow. Wow. Why is that? Because this word is alive. It don't ever grow old. It's not outdated. Listen, when, when, this might have been written over 1,500 years ago, but I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now, when God was writing all of that, he wrote in Genesis he was thinking about the year 2023 as well. What was applicable then is applicable now. I believe God is still active today in his word. I, I, I can't, I, the whole, here's, here's what Charles Spurgeon said. I think I put it in your notes. Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, the Holy Spirit rides in the chariot of scripture and not in the wagon of modern thought. Holy Spirit rides in the chariot of Scripture, not in the wagon of modern thought. You know, how do, how do I know that's true? You can go right now, after we leave here tonight, you can go to Books A Million. And you can pull off any self-help book off the shelf. And you can begin to read it. 
I'm telling you right now, you can go talk to any therapist and, and pick up any book that they recommend and begin to read it. You can go pick up any New Age book, any New Age whatever, and begin to read it. But I'm telling you right now, is there is not one of them that can breathe life into your soul like the Word of God. This Word is active. And it's powerful and it's still changing people. You can look out. I, I, I think about this other day. You can look out into a field of sheep. Thousands of sheep. Mamas and babies. Yet every baby knows where to go find his mama. Listen, believer, born again believer, you should know where to go to find the milk to strengthen your soul. There's a lot of things out there that can say that it can help you. But I'm telling you right now, this is home. This is home. So when you think about the power of the sword and the influence it had in your life, think about it for a second. Just, just pause and think about that. What kind of influence did the Word of God have on you? How, how did it affect your life? How, how, how did it change your life? How, think about that for a moment. Some of you right now in this place are free from addiction because of this. Some of you right now, your, your, your marriage is restored because of this. Some of this right now, you were transformed from death to life because of this. Now, now that should give you confidence. You know why that should give you confidence? Because if this word was powerful enough to bring you to life and to convert your dead soul to life again, then it's, it's, it's powerful enough to convert somebody else's too. Listen, if this word was powerful enough to heal your marriage, guess what? It can heal somebody else's marriage too. If, if this word was enough to, to help you defeat anxiety and the struggle of depression, guess what? It can help somebody else too. This, could, this, this should give you confidence that you need to share what the Word of God has done for you. Knowing what it's done for you should put a conviction in you that you can do the same for others. Now, now here, here's number three. Here's number three. We see that it is it's a spoken word. We see that it's the, the Spirit's sword. Number three, we see that it is the saint's strength. He says, verse 17, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That word sword... It's makarehi. And, and, and this is important. It's important. Because Paul didn't say, go get the catapult of the word of God. He didn't say, go get the bow and arrow of the word of God. He didn't say, go get the spear of the word of God. He says, get the sword. And that word makarehi is, is, is meaning sh- uh, short sword. Or it means dagger. In other words, this would probably be equivalent to what he's talking about. Now, why is that important? Because he's basically implying that the enemy is close. In other words, we are in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. He's not far out there. A catapult ain't going to do you no good. A spear ain't going to do you no good. A bow and arrow ain't going to do you no good. He says, pull out your dagger. Because the enemy is close. The enemy is close. Listen, the enemy is after your home. He's after your heart. He's after your mind. He's after your spouse. He's after your children. He's after you. Listen, he's close. He's at your door. Do you have the sword? Because we're about to go hand-to-hand combat with that enemy. We can't keep coasting through life. I, I talked about that last week, that, that we, we ain't going to just be coasting into heaven. That's not what God called us to do, is it? No, we need to be aggressive, pursuing, being conformed to the image of the Son, pursuing godliness. We're not coasting through life. The enemy is always at reach. You cannot get away from him. He is at your door. Number two, or B, the battle is always constant. It don't let up. There is no off days. There is no off days. 
The battle is constant. Our, our best method of a defense is to attack. We need to carry the war into the enemy's territory. That's what we need to do. We need to be aggressive. We don't need... Listen, a few weeks ago, I preached a message about pornography. The most awkward, intense, hard message I've ever preached in my life. But I'm thankful for it. You know, just, just kind of give God praise in all of this. Uh, you know, we're offering that class, the Conquering Series for Men. We've have, we have over 20 men signed up for that class. That encourages my soul. It does. Boy, it fires me up to know that. Because I'll be honest with you, if there's 20, there's 100 more. All right? But they had 20 men that said, you know what? I want to get victory over this. I'm going to step up. I'm going to take this class. I'm, praise God for that. Praise God for that. But, but it, it should, it should to, to be aggressive and go into the enemy's territory. Now listen to me. It, we shouldn't just be satisfied with not watching pe- pornography. If we're going to try to gain ground in the enemy's territory, we need to put safeguards. We need to put things, accountability in our life. We need to start taking back the ground that the enemy has stolen. We should not be satisfied with just being religious. No, we're going to take back ground. We need to be praying without ceasing. We need to be going in the highways, the byways, and telling people about Jesus, expanding the kingdom of God. We should not be satisfied with the status quo of being religious. Listen, I am thankful if you bring your kids here on Sunday... I, and Wednesday night, I am so thankful that you bring your kids, but you should not stop there. I'm thankful that you're teaching your kids about Jesus, but they need some servants up there on that room on Wednesdays and Sundays where they need you to step up and go teach other kids about Jesus. That's how we take back the enemy ground. We don't, we don't get satisfied with the bare minimum. We do a little bit extra. Because here's what I believe. If we fought the devil more in the world, then maybe he wouldn't be so much in our church. We've got to start being aggressive. And the only weapon of attack we have is the Word of God. And yet so little of us actually know it. Notice in Ephesians, it tells us to take the helmet and the sword. Take the sword. Take the sword. I can promise you, you can finish out reading the book of Ephesians. Go on to Philippians. You can keep on going all the way to the book of Revelation. But you'll never ever find where it tells you to ever put that sword back down. He says, take it. But he never says put it down. Why? Because the battle is constant. From the days of Paul to now, the order still stands. Take the sword. Listen, I'm thankful that that you you have a Bible. But this Bible isn't meant, meant to be put on display at your home on a coffee table collecting dust. If you're in the battle, if you're a soldier, do you ever just put your weapon down? No. You keep it close. You study it. You know it. You know your weapon. Inside and out. I, 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 believe, I believe we should know the word of God, not of obligation, but out of faith. Let me, let me ask you this. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Not, 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 not because you're religious. Not because you feel like you're obligated to say you believe it. But do you believe it? Because... <laughs> I, I believe, I believe this word of God because it changed my life. Man, it defeated the enemy in my life. I, I believe this because it is the power of God to save men. I believe this because it is the very breath of God. I believe it because there is no other book written in history that spans 1,500 years 
written by 40 different authors and 66 books, yet the theme is consistent and nowhere does it contradict. I, you can't do that without God. I, I believe this word because to, even today it's still holding the Guinness Book of Record as the, most, uh, uh, the, the, the book with the most sales. It, it outsells every book on the planet. I believe it. Because it is unique. Why? Why is it outselling every other book on on the planet? Because it changes lives. Because it gives freedom. Because it heals relationships. Because it breaks addiction. This book is unique than anything that has ever existed. And Christian, you have the privilege to own not just one, but a whole bookshelf of them. Do you read it? Do you know it? Do you study it? I, I, I believe there's probably several in this room, and I'm not trying to bash anybody, but golly, if, it, if, if, if guilt tripping you will make you read your Bible, then I, I'm fine with that too. But I'm, I'm willing to bet there's many of you in this room that has never read this Bible from cover to cover. Are, are there passages in God's holy word you've never seen before? Does it, does it bother you? That there could be one thing in God's holy word that he has spoken just for you that you've never seen, that you've never read. The greatest love story ever written, and there's a possibility that you haven't even read it all. If, if that's you today, start tonight. Start tonight. See, see Paul tells Timothy... Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What is he telling? He says, Timothy, go deep. Don't stay on the surface. Go deep, Timothy. Study. Show yourself approved that you may not be ashamed. Go deep. Go deep. Why? Because the best gold is deep in the mine. Go deep, Timothy. He tells Anyways, how can you become more disciplined in the Word of God? How can you become more disciplined? Guess what? That's what we're trying to focus in, all right? Like, I'm hoping we're all connected now. We understand the importance of the Word of God. We understand the, the, what the Word of God is to us, that we should really cherish this and love this and honor this and read this. and know. So how can you, as a born-again believer in Christ, become more disciplined in reading the Word of God? That's what we're here for, right? Amen. Number one, you need to hear the Word of God. Hear the word of God. Why, why is it important? Why is this an important step in Bible intake? In Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Luke eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus says, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You hear the word of God and keep it. And listen, it, it is not enough just to, to read the God, word of God. It's not enough just to hear the word of God. Jesus says you actually got to do it too. You've got to apply it. You've got to actually do what it says. James says the same thing. He says, do not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer also. And, and so this is going to be true for all methods of Bible intake, whether you're studying it, reading it, listening to it. You've got to do it. But, but Jesus says you need to hear the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul says, so then faith, he's talking about saving faith here. He says, so faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. He says, you've got to hear the word of God. And, and this is specifically talking about saving faith, but I'm going to be honest with you, as a born-again believer of Christ, I need day-to-day faith, too. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes hearing the Word of God proclaimed and preached is what gives me enough to keep on going. I mean, think about it. How many times have you come to church on the verge of collapse, 
and you hear a message that just lifts you up and keeps you going. Right, you, you get fired up. And, and, and how many, I, Pastor Malcolm, that sticks with me the other day because you talked about how, how you've done so many counseling sessions with people that their problems could have been resolved a whole lot earlier if they just showed up to church and listened to you preach the messages that you've been preaching because it deals with their issues. And, and so one of the things, the disciplines we need to practice in our life is we need to get around some good preaching. I know I'm preaching to the choir right now out there, Fairview and online and here in this room because you're here. Right? You are practicing the discipline of hearing the word of God. But it can go further than that. I, I, remember, I remember when I used to install security alarms. I put in security alarms, fire alarm systems, biometric systems. I did a lot of work. For about 10 years I did that. And uh, I did a lot of work in, in, in Gainesville, Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, Pensacola, Crestview, Niceville, Panama City. I drove all, go, all over the place doing service calls and work uh, for this company. And I had a little Ford Transit van. And I would pull out my phone, and I'd plug it into my radio, and I would listen to hours of preaching, hours of God's teaching. So you don't, you don't just have to stop listening to the Word of God being preached when you, it's on Sundays and Wednesdays. You can, you can, man, you have access to it all the time now. Isn't that incredible? You can take it anywhere you want to. And I remember just spending hours in that Ford Transit van driving from location to location, listening to the Word of God preached. I'm going to tell you right now, it got thick in that cab of that Ford Transit a few times. God will bless you and minister to your soul as you begin to hear him. God will minister to you as you get, give attendance to the preaching of the word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Paul tells Timothy, he's mentoring Timothy. He tells Timothy in 1 Timothy four thirteen, he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, that means preaching. He says, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. What did he tell Timothy? He says, Timothy, you need to preach. You need to preach. Why? Because Paul knew it was important for people to hear the word of God. He says, you need to go preach, Timothy. And, and, I, and listen, you have people tell you all the time, I've had it happen. You have people say, well, I can worship God on a golf course. I can worship God in a tree stand. I can worship God in a bass boat. I don't have to be at church. To worship God. And I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that to an extent. You can worship God anywhere you want to. Absolutely. But I'm telling you right now, there is no such thing as ongoing worship of God separated from the hearing and proclamation of his gospel. You cannot separate worshiping God from hearing his word. You've got to be surrounded. You've got to be plugged into a church. You've got to discipline yourself to hear the word of God. Number two, you need to read God's word. Read God's word. Kind of obvious, right? I'm putting everything on the shelf so everybody can reach it. We've got to read it. You know, Christianity Today did a study, and they reported that only 10% of Americans read their Bible daily. Before the pandemic, that number was 14%, but, but now it's only 10% of Americans read their Bible on a daily basis. And you might be thinking, well, that number is a little skewed because it says all Americans, not just Christians. Okay? Barna Research did a study. And they found that only 18% of Christians read their Bible every day. Now, what's even more shocking is that they reported that 23% of Christians, reported Christians, say they've never read their Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says, Exercise thyself unto godliness. You cannot achieve godliness apart from the reading of his word. 
You are not going to fulfill what God has called you to do apart from the reading of his word. Jesus would oftentimes, when he was speaking to crowds, he would say something like, Have you not read? Because the expectation was, if he's talking to people who claim to be God's children, that they would have at least read his word. He says, Have you not read? Listen, we go to that trip in Israel, and, 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 and what's that tour guy's name? Nasser. Nasser would give you all this history and stuff, and he'd start, and then he would say, Read your Bible. Cover to cover, read. He would get frustrated if he asked a simple Bible question. You couldn't give him an answer. He says, do you not read your Bible? And I tell you, it'll make you convicted. You'd be like, I will today, right now. We'll start. <laughs> but Jesus says, have you not read? Why? Because there was an expectation to those people gathered around him. Hey, you claim to be God's people. Have you not read it? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus says this, man shall not live by bread alone. But by, I want y'all to see this, where is it at? Matthew 4, 4. Jesus said, man, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word. Not some of the words. Not most of the words. Every word. If he's saying that, then surely Jesus intended us to read every word. You may, you may ask, well, well, how often should I read my Bible then? How often? Let me ask you. How often um, do you face problems and temptations and pressures? Every day, right? How often, how often in this room do you need instruction and guidance and encouragement? Oh, every day, okay. How, how, how often, how often do you wish to see God's face, hear His voice and feel His presence? How often should you read your Bible then? Pretty simple, isn't it? D.L. Moody said, A man can take no more in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months or take sufficient air into his lungs at one time to sustain life for a week. He says, We must draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day. You can't read enough Bible in one day to last you the rest of the week. If you've been doing that on Sundays, you get your Bible reading on Sundays and you close it up and put it down, that ain't it. That ain't it. So how do I have a consistent Bible reading time then? Find the time. Find the time. And guard that time. Many people, man, it's easy to get discouraged when you look at the Bible because there's a lot of words. Let's just be honest. There's a lot of words in there. And let's just, have you ever read something that didn't make sense? <laughs> that was like a, a unison yep me too I can't tell you how many times I read that and I'm like well I'm going to skip on to the next verse <laughs> I don't know what that means that don't make no sense I, it, it, it can be confusing at times right it, it's intimidating sometimes but do you know you know they have the Bible on, on audio you can download an app you can listen to the, the Bible speak to you read to you whatever somebody's reading it to you if you was to press play and start in Genesis and it end in Revelation, it would take 72 hours. 72 hours from start to finish to read the entire Bible. And you might be thinking, well, I still I ain't going to do that. Well, I'm not expecting you to. But do you know the average American spends 70 plus hours in two weeks' time watching television? Ooh, I ain't got time. Oh, you don't. Did you know... That if you just spend 15 minutes a day reading your Bible, you can finish in under a year. 
Hey, maybe, maybe you're looking for a marathon, not a sprint. Okay, if you read your Bible five minutes a day, you know you can finish it in just under three years. Hey, in three years' time, you could have the whole Bible read. And you could, you could be sitting here proud as a peacock because you're like, this don't apply to me. I read my Bible. Listen, it's easy to find time for the things we love. And if you love something, it will become the catalyst for you to discipline yourself to do it. For instance, let's say you want to learn a new language. And you struggle with it. Oh, you don't like learning new language. But then you find a pretty little Spanish cutie. All of a sudden, mi amor. All of a sudden, what do you do? You put in the work. You put in the work, the discipline. Why? Why? Because if you have a little love, there's little desire. But if you really love Jesus, then you'll have a whole lot of desire. And if you have a whole lot of desire, that will translate into discipline. And so if you have a problem reading the word of God, you might need to ask the Lord to increase your love for him. God, help me love you more. Because I know the more I love you, the more I'm going to desire this. And the more that I desire this, the more I'm going to discipline myself to read this. So, so maybe your Bible struggles are not necessarily a time problem, but maybe it's a desire problem, a love problem. I remember listening to these old-fashioned preachers. Man, they would come through in my, my little town of, of, of Florida, and, and, and they would preach. And, oh, we call them mountain preachers. They would have veins popping out their neck the size of garlic bread from the Olive Garden. Just big old. And they would preach and get red-faced, and they would say a lot of things. Half the time it didn't make sense, but they were happy to say it, and they would shout it and shout it. And they would say things like, you got to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, read your Bible. The first person you should talk to every day is God. I said, well, if I'm going to be anybody, I need to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I need to read my Bible. It didn't take long for me to discover that God is just awake at 9 a.m. as he is at 4 a.m. Because I struggled at 4 o'clock in the morning. What am I trying to tell you? I'm telling you, you need to find a time, but you need to find a time that works for you. You might have people in your family that get up at the very crack of dawn and they break out their Bible and begin to read. Well, that's the time that works best for them. Maybe you have to be at work at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. And it's a struggle. Well, maybe before you walk in the door in the evening time when you get off work, you spend 10 minutes in the cab of your truck and you just pull out the Word of God and you begin to read before you walk in the front door. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mama or a stay-at-home daddy. Maybe the best time for you is to get the kids off the school and you get everything settled. You get the baby laid down for a nap. And while it's quiet for about 10 minutes, you sit down and you read the Word of God. Find what works best for you. I, I would encourage you to, I mean, yeah, you can absolutely read this before you go to bed. That's great. It's not always the best case scenario because a lot of times we're tired, right? And, and, and so we'll start reading the same sentences three times in a row, but, oh, trying to focus in. What does that say? And, and, and also, I don't know about you, but I do very little sinning in my sleep. I don't know. I, don't, I do very little evil in my sleep. And so when I need the word of God the most is in my day to help me. So if it's an early in the morning, if it's in the middle of the day, if it's eight, nine, ten o'clock in the morning, find a time that works for you, but guard it. And why I say this is because you'll find any and every excuse to fill that time with something else. 
You'll get distracted. You'll get busy. You'll have the enemy throw things at you. Your phone will start being buzzing. And, and people, all of a sudden, everybody's got an emergency. Guard that time. Protect. Disappear. Just, just quietly go somewhere and, and, and break out the Word of God and begin to read it. The enemy doesn't want you to read this. Because if he can keep you weak here, he'll keep you weak everywhere else. But if you get stronger here, it will strengthen everywhere else. There, there was an evangelist named Robert Sumner. And Robert Sumner tells a story about a man from Kansas City who was in an explosion. It, it, it kind of destroyed his face, blew off his hands, made him go blind. Terrible accident. And, and, and he had just become a Christian. Just become a Christian. And one of the things that depressed him the most is that he could no longer read his Bible. But he found out there's a woman in England who was using her lips. She bought a Braille, a Bible written in Braille, and she would use her lips. And she would fill the bumps with her lips and read the Bible that way. Well, he got encouraged. He's like, I'm going to buy me one of them Bibles. So he ordered him a Braille Bible. And he got it, and he put it up to his lips. And he realized that there was so much nerve damage in his lips and his face, he couldn't, he couldn't really distinguish the bumps. And he got discouraged. And so then another day he tried it again. He put it against his lips, and it says that his tongue happened to reach out and touch some of the bumps. And he realized that his tongue could feel the bumps on the page. And so he started using his tongue to read the Word of God. And in a couple years' time... This man had read the Bible cover to cover four times. What is our excuse? What is our excuse? We need to study the Word of God. Number three, study the Word of God. Picture it this way. Reading God's Word is like getting in a bass boat and crossing Smith Lake. Studying the Word of God is like getting in a glass-bottom canoe and going slow across Smith Lake. What's the difference? Well, a bass boat will give you an overview of everything to see, but the canoe will slow you down and let you see below the surface. It starts helping you see things that, that you didn't see before. It helps you see what you might have missed. That's what studying does. Studying takes you deeper. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra is a scribe, a priest from the Old Testament. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of, of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So look at, look at the sequence here. It says, Ezra prepared his heart to what? Seek, seek the law of the Lord, and then to do it, and then to teach. You see, see what happens here? He says, I prepare my heart to read and study the word, so then I will do the word, and then I will teach others how to do it also. Before he taught the word... He had to prepare his heart for it. And then he disciplined himself to study it. Look at Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. He's writing a letter to Timothy. He tells, he tells Timothy, he says, The cloak that I left at Trous with Carpus, and when thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. You know what Paul is talking about here? He's talking about the Holy Scriptures. He's, re- he's writing this in prison. He says, can you please bring me the scriptures? I want to study them. I want to read them. I want to know them. If Paul needed it, surely you and I need it. So, so R.C. Sproul, he says it this way. Boy, it'll kick you in the teeth. This is what he says. R.C. Sproul says, here then is the real problem of our negligence. If we fail in our duty to study God's word, 
we fail in our duty to study God's Word, not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. That's what R.C. Sproul says. Laziness is the temptation and will always be the temptation to take away from this. You need this daily. Listen, yesterday's food ain't going to fill you up today. And yesterday's home run ain't going to matter in today's game. You need this every day. We need to study God's word every day. So how do we study God's word? How do we do it? Simple. On your handout, I gave you some pointers, some things. How do you study God's word? First of all, Ezra, if you go back to Ezra chapter 7 verse 10, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart. In other words, in other words, when you come to the Bible, be prepared to meet with God. Take a moment and just pray. God, help me. I, I want to I discover something new today. Would you speak to me? Would you help me understand some things I've never understood before? Would you help me know this better? And another way you can come prepared is get a pen and a piece of paper. Because that pen and paper tells God, hey, you're expecting for him to talk to you. And come prepared to hear from God. Write down things that you have seen, observed in the scriptures, things that stick out to you. Look for repeated words. Maybe there's some, like we talked in Ephesians chapter 6 in those verses. I I told you, mark down every time it says the word stand. And oftentimes you'll find in scriptures there's repeated words. Find those repeated words. Write them down. Look up verses. Some of y'all have these fancy Bibles that have cross references. And and they'll have this verse. And over here it's like a little asterisk. And it'll say refer to this verse over here. Well, take time to go read those verses too. Get a full picture of what's going on here. Why is it referencing that verse back in, in, in Malachi? Why, why, why is Matthew talking about the book of Psalm here? And, and so find out what's going on. And then, if you have questions, you can write them down. I don't know what this means. I need to look up this later. This is optional, but, but I, know, I know we use the King James here, and so uh, many of you, you might struggle understanding some of the words in the King James. Well, you can get an 1828 Webster's Dictionary. It's a fantastic tool, but guess what? It's free to download. And you can reference it. You can Google Webster's 1828 in your phone, and it pulls up the search engine for Webster's 1828 dictionary. And any word that you don't quite understand in the King James, you type it in, pulls it up, gives you the definition. Boom. Now you know it better. Or if you're old school, you can buy the Webster's 1828 dictionary on Amazon for $45. I looked it up today. That's a tool. I, I also, you know, this is another tool, a Strong's Concordance. Uh, this is optional. You don't have to have these things, but this is, these are just tools to help you study. This, this, this right here has every single word of the Bible in here and everywhere it's mentioned. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, everywhere it's mentioned. Why I like doing that is because sometimes I like to do word studies. Like I want to, t- I want to look at the word faith. And I'll go and look at every time the word faith is mentioned in Scripture. I want to see what it's talking about. And, and I'll start, man, you'll go, down the, you'll go down the rabbit hole pretty quickly. And all of a sudden you look up, you've been studying the Bible for two hours. Oh, no. All of a sudden it gets exciting. It gets new. You get, you get refreshed. Something exciting hump, uh, happens and you start getting excited about what God is telling you and exposing to you. So, so you've got to start somewhere. Start with the book of Bible. Start with the book of James. Start with the book of John. I don't, I don't really care, but, but spend time and outline it. What, what is the first ten sh- verses of chapter 1 telling you? you know, outline a chapter at a time. Work your way through. There's, there's no real wrong way of doing this. Just got to do it. 
When you finish that chapter, move on to the next chapter. Another great way of doing this, I have it, I have it in your handout. We call it the SOAP method. SOAP method. So, Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. So, you start out, say you want to read John 3.16. Well, the very first thing you do is you write down, by hand, John 3.16, the entire verse. And then, you spend time, and you'll be amazed what you'll begin to learn as you just slow down and write things. God will pull things out, like, ooh, that's good, I never saw that before. And then you spend time in, oh, observation. Get you a little uh, notebook, and you take time and write this down, observation. What do you see in this verse? What is it telling you? Who's the audience? Is there a repetition of words? Is there something that stands out to you? What's the main lesson here in these verses? Observation. Take time to observe what's happening. Then move on to A, application. Okay? This is where it applies to you. It becomes personal. Right? And so you spend time and say, God, what is this saying to me today? How can I apply what you are saying in this word to me today right now? Is there anything in my life that I need to change? That's application. And the last part is prayer. You spend time and you just get alone with God and you pray these words back to Him. If He has revealed something to you in your life, you take time to, to pray that and say, God, I'm sorry, I confess the ways I've, I've, I'm an error here. God, help me. But I don't want anyone in this place to feel inadequate to read and study this. Because this will give you life. This is your sword. This is what's going to help you exercise unto godliness. Amen. It's going to take time. It's going to take discipline. I'm going to finish out with this. This was written by a guy named Jeffrey Thomas. He printed a book, a little booklet called Reading the Bible. He gives like five points on reading the Bible, and this is how he ends the booklet. He says, do not expect to master, and this is not in your handout, but I just want you all to listen. Do not expect to master the Bible in a day or a month or a year. Rather, expect often to be puzzled by its contents. It's not all equally clear. Great men of God often feel like absolute novices when they read the Word. The Apostle Peter said when there were some things hard to be understood in the epistle, uh, the Apostle Peter said that there were some things hard to be understood in the epistles of Paul. I'm glad he wrote those words because I have felt that often. So do not expect always to get an emotional charge or a feeling of quiet peace when you read the Bible. By the grace of God, you may expect to be a frequent experience, but often you will get no emotional response at all. But let the Word of God break over your heart and mind again and again as the years go by, and imperceptibly there will come great changes in your attitude and your outlook and conduct. You will probably be the last to recognize these. Often you will feel very, very small because increasingly the God of the Bible will become to you wonderfully great. So go on reading it until you can read no longer. And then you will not need the Bible anymore. Because when your eyes close for the last time in death and never again read the Word of God in Scripture, you will open them to the Word of God in the flesh. The same Jesus of the Bible who you have known for so long is now standing before you to take you forever into His eternal home. So, just start. Fall in love with Jesus. On your handout, you also have some questions to ponder. I did that last week. Gave you all some questions to take home and work on. So I'm going to give you the same challenge this week. On the back of your handout is questions to ponder. Go home. Fill them out tonight. Wake up in the morning. Do them in the morning. Whatever works best for you. Find a time. Guard that time. Get in the Word and study it. Let's take away our excuses. Amen.